Welcome to our podcast from the Episcopal Diocese of Central Pennsylvania as we explore the way of love, practices for a Jesus-centered life. I'm Audrey Scanlon, the Bishop of Central Pennsylvania, and it's my privilege to interview people from around our diocese on how they're practicing and living into the way of love. We remember that the seven practices of the way of love are to turn, learn, pray, worship, bless, go, and rest. So today we have Stephen Casey, the Reverend Canon Stephen Casey, with us, and he's joining us to talk about the practice of turn and how it has influenced him in his life and drawn him closer to Jesus. So welcome, Stephen. Good to be here. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about you? Um, former rector of St. Edward's Episcopal Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. One of God's little jokes to put a Yorkshireman in Lancaster. <laughs> um, before that, I was in St. Paul's Lockhaven and also was involved in Trinity Renova. Um, former airline executive, former sign writer, um, Englishman par excellence. Um, served on the standing. I think I worked out that I've served on every committee in the diocese bar two. I've never been on the Commission on Ministry and I've never served on the Ecclesiastical Trial Court, which I'm delighted about. Um, but I've served on just about everything else and been chair of everything else at some point. Well, be careful. <laughs> be careful what you, what you so, ask for. Um, yes, so now uh, partially retired and working um, uh, part-time and enjoying it at St. John's in Lancaster. Yeah, for what, another month, right? Something like that, yeah. 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 Good. Well, you're one of those folks who didn't rest very long between retiring and then jumping right back into a, a supply position, so thank you for that. I know it's been a blessing for them to have you. It's been really good. So I'm wondering, Stephen, we, we're talking about the way of love today, and it's been packaged for us really as a rule of life. That's how our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, has talked about it. And certainly rules of life have been around for a long, long, long time. Um, people have lifted um, out of the pages of Scripture a rule of life that they believe Jesus followed, you know, retreating um, in the evening for prayer and and taking time away, interspersed with time time in ministry and in community. And, of course, St. Benedict is known for his great rule. Um, I spent a week in a tent this past summer creating my own rule on a camping trip, uh, which honestly has been not quite as successful as I had hoped. Uh, it was fairly uh, aspirational. But I'm wondering, and I guess all rules of life are aspirational, I'm wondering if you have a rule that you've followed or if this way of love has intersected with practices you have already have as a habit. Years ago, and I'm going back a long time now, when I lived in England, when Rayla and I just after we were married, we were very close to a Franciscan friary, an Anglican Franciscan friary. And so I became, we both became very close to the Franciscans and um, spent a lot of time both at the friary and also at the um, 
uh, at Holy Island, Lindisfarne. Mm. And for a while, I was a, a, a novice for to become a tertiary in the Franciscan order. Oh, I didn't know that. And um, had Kate Tristram as my spiritual director. That all so so one of the first things you do is have a rule of life. Right. You know, you're expected to follow a, a rule of life. Um, that changed somewhat when I was in seminary, and I took a course actually with Churchill uh, Pinder's uncle, Churchill Gibson, who yeah, was then the chaplain right. at BTS, and he had this quarter course on spiritual life and spiritual and Anglican spirituality, and part of it was doing a um, how rather like a Myers Briggs on spirituality. Mm-hmm and discovered that I wasn't a Franciscan. Hmm. I was more an Augustinian. Really? Um, And that answered a lot of questions in terms of why I was struggling with a Franciscan uh, ethos as opposed to something else. I'm an intellectual. My degrees are in philosophy and Mm -hmm. theology, so, Mm -hmm. you know, there was was something not working for me. so not long after that, when I had left seminary, actually when I was in St. Edward's, I'd just arrived at St. Edward's, I, was, I tried Holy Cross and it didn't work and discovered quite by accident that one of my favorite writers, Don Gregory Dix, had been associated with St. Gregory's Abbey in Three Rivers, Michigan. Right. And so decided I would take a drive over there. And, over you know, to Michigan over from to Pennsylvania. Michigan. Yeah, do it okay. all the time. And um, rather like kids finding uh, colleges, they always say, you know, you can look at all the prospectus you like, but it's when you walk on the campus yeah. that says this is it. I remember getting out of my car and walking onto the grounds of the Abbey and saying I'm home. And that's been my spiritual home other than what I have in England ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a comforter. I'm not an oblate. I decided not to go that far, but I am a comforter uh, of St. Gregory's. And and that requires us to certainly follow a discipline of life yeah. um, and the usual ideas of, of prayer and you know being sensible about diet and stewardship mm-hmm. of body and so on, all the rest of it. I don't say I'm very good at it. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of us are. Um, but I think, frankly, it's you know if the subject is turn, we're always turning to and from. That's right. And and for me, that's what it is. St. Gregory's is is the anchor for me. So I, do I have a rule of life? Yes. Um, do I follow it faithfully? Like most of us, I have to say no. But that doesn't mean to say we don't try. So of those practices that that you have in your rule. Are there some that are more challenging or some that are um, come more naturally to you? I would think the one that's most challenging is rest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I'm a workaholic, Yeah. Um, as most of us are, I think. Um, and, and even in retirement, that's, that's hard for me mm-hmm. um, to always feel as I have to be doing something. I have to be productive. Um, and so that's, you know, the, the, the rest part of, of a rule is always a challenge for me. Um, the prayer life is also a challenge, I think, for most of us. You know, um, we're supposed to do the daily office. Right. Most of us do it in abstention, or we find different ways of doing it. Mm-hmm. You know? one, one of the wonderful phrases I've always held with me was my father-in-law was a retired pastor in the Church of Nazarene. 
And before Renan and I were married, he and I used to correspond by letter. He was actually my cousin, so there was a familial thing there, you see. Uh, it's all right. We, your we, father-in-law we, was your cousin? Yes. There's okay. a, a wonderful story. I'm going to leave that right there. <laughs> there's a wonderful story there, <laughs> uh, which we spent some time in England exploring. But anyway, um, he and I had this correspondence about prayer uh, one time. And he wrote this wonderful line, which I've always remembered. He said, he wrote to me, he said, you know, there are days when I'm in and days when I'm out. Hmm, yeah. And and I think that sums up most of us in our prayer life. There are days when we are in and there are days when we are out. Um, and and I think providing we can acknowledge that and live into it, then I, I think that's very much a part of our rule. Um, uh, the rest of it, I think, sort of falls into place in one form or another. You know, a, a rule of life, I think, is as much um, it, it, rather than be something that one has to be absolutely rigid about, because then it really doesn't become a rule. Um, it really sets up a guilt thing. A, a rule of life is something to which we aspire, constantly mm -hmm. aspire. And I think and that's the way I take it. And it can be fluid, yes. depending on the season of life. I remember when I was a young mother, and we just had a, um, Alyssa Pasternak Post was right. a, a guest right. here talking with us about the practice of learning and her work in godly play. And she was talking about some of the challenges of being a young mother, or a mother with young children, rather, and how that fits into your aspirational sure. spiritual life and I remember when I was at that season of my life and I went to a very wise old crone in our church and I said to her I her name was Phyllis I said I just I can't figure out when to pray and mm. and when do you do it and she said and she took my hands you know and she looked at me and she said darling I pray all day long and I realized oh I don't mean to be sitting in my office with the door closed with a book of common prayer open in my lap and the Bible and, you know, I can pray all day long. Absolutely. And I've, I'll never forget that. It was such a comfort to realize that um, there are different ways to do do this, right? Oh, yeah. Well, um, uh, our youngest daughter, Elizabeth, her godfather is a Jesuit priest in Dublin. Mm -hmm. And he and I got onto the subject of, of prayer um, the, the, I think the last time we probably saw each other, which was in Boston, and we're in the back of a car with Renan driving, and we got onto the subject of prayer, and he was telling me that um, he had been asked by one of the sisters of the of the of the convent that he was chaplain to, uh, to talk to her about prayer. She was having difficulty praying, and he said, "Well, sister, would you would would you tell me what it is you do?" And she said, "I, I can't stop just saying thank you, God." Hmm. And he said, my dear, you're praying. It's a pretty good prayer. <laughs> it's a pretty right. good prayer. You know, and I think that's true. I, I, I think sometimes we, we, we tend to look at prayer as such a very formal thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not. It's conversation. And, and can happen in all manner of different ways. I've found myself over the last few days dreaming hymns. Raylan is always doing it. Yes. Always doing it. But I find, you know, phrases of, you know, one of the things, one of the hymns that's been going through my head last few days when I was really thinking about this turn thing is new every morning is the love. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful, wonderful mm -hmm. hymn. But it, it talks about that being in and being out, coming back yeah. in again. Yeah. You know.
Yeah. Huh. Well, the reason we invited you to speak with us today is to talk with us about turning. Um, and I was teasing with you just before we started recording that you are the wild card guest because for all of the other guests that we've had, there's been a very specific story or image or uh, calling with which I've associated them and a particular practice. But as my staff and I were sitting around dreaming who we might invite to speak to the different practices, your name came up for turn, and honestly, I don't know why. I think that um, sometimes the Holy Spirit just delivers a gift like that, and I've uh, been around long enough to know that, that the Holy Spirit knows a lot more than I do. Um, part of it, I think, may be uh, the story of your journey here to this country and, and how you've made a life here, and and you've had an intentional, literal turn to, to be here. Um, but I'm eager to hear how you're connecting personally with this. When I preach about the way of love, and I do that almost every Sunday now, um, when I get to the step of turn, I talk about the opportunity that I feel God gives me every single day to turn again and to follow God and to follow Jesus as the Spirit empowers me. And so I speak about the practice that I have of reading the daily office. I'm one of those people that actually does do it, although I cheat because I do it on my phone. Um, because they give you all the readings right, right. there. Same time to turn pages. Yeah. But the first thing is is the confession in most seasons. And for me, that's the opportunity to turn again to God and to receive that that clear page of a day. So that's that's one of the ways that I think about turn. Um, so when I invited you, what did you think? about, hmm, why is she asking me to do turn? Well, there's two questions there, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> there's the why did I, what did I think when you asked me to do it? Well, my first thought was, oh, it's very nice of them to do that. Um, you know, it was like uh, an invitation to talk about faith and journeys of faith. Um, I, yeah, it's interesting, that word turn got me thinking about the word itself. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I've been asked to give a, a, a talk at St. John's uh, in the weekend after Easter. Um, one of the things, a constant theme in my sermons are grace notes. You know, you're mm -hmm. a musician, you mm -hmm. know what a grace yeah. note is. Yep. You know, that wonderful little yep. mark above a note that allows you to sort of do Can't something. Can't see them very well anymore. That's but, right. Yeah. But it, it's there. It's <laughs> yeah. there. And it, it allows you to do something mm -hmm. um, that, that's not stated on the page. Um, and uh, I link that with what I call resurrection moments hmm. that we have. Resurrection is not a one and only event. It's a constant in our lives. And that's got me thinking about the whole idea of turn and, and where it crops up in the Bible. You know, there is to turn towards, yes. which I think is sort of the, the idea of here, turning back mm -hmm. or turning towards Jesus. Um, the psalmist, I think it's in the psalm for today, uh, asks, or, or in the Jeremiah reading, asks God to turn back and look 
right? So, so there's that part of asking God to turn. Um, Moses was asked to turn aside, Mm-hmm. Turn aside and look. Turn aside and see. Um, I often, when I preach, will talk about a sideways look. A sideways look in this country is a bit of a negative. The term, side eye, right? Yeah. But, the, but, the, <laughs> but but there's another type. There's another side of t- um, a sideways look, and that is, hmm, I hadn't thought of it that way before. Right? A much more positive connotation. Yeah, okay. So when I think about turn. I think it, it's not just a once and only event. It's, it's a constant of our lives. We're constantly turning. Mm-hmm. We're, we're constantly turning or being asked. Maybe that's a better way. Being asked to turn to look, being asked to turn aside, being asked to turn back. Um, I, I, folks at St. John's and St. Edward's know that you know, my standard phrase for Lent for me is a train wreck. You know, Lent has always been a train wreck for mm-hmm. me. I'm hopeless at Lenten mm-hmm. disciplines. And frankly, I've personally got to a stage where I don't see the point. What I think of Lent is not so much a personal discipline in, you know, I'm going to give up a bottle of wine a day or, or whatever it is. Uh, for me, Lent is a period where you actually stop and turn in. Yeah, Self-reflection. It's self-reflection. Self-examination. It's right. self-examination. It's it's taking that oasis. It's taking that 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 little period of time where we can look back and look in deep inside ourselves and say, "We're all right then." So so what are the things that we need to be looking at? Mm-hmm. And I don't need to give up food or drink mm-hmm. or 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 anything else. You know, I like I might want to read a book or mm-hmm. something. But for me, that's the whole idea of Lent, and it involves that turning. That, that conscious, active act of turning. Um, and most of us, I think, have to do that. Most of us certainly um, that wear the collar and those of us involved in the spiritual life in any public way, I think for most of us, we're never totally satisfied with who we are and what we are and what we do. And so we're constantly turning mm-hmm. or asking God to turn back. Um, so that turn for me is, a, is an all-encompassing thing. It's, it, it's not just a one word and, uh, to turn to Jesus, although we can go on to that later on because, you know, in, in my own spiritual life, Jesus has started to take on a much more um, prominent um, part of my spiritual life than perhaps it, it has done over the years past. Oh, I want to hear about that. Um... But before before we get into Jesus, I, I just want to reflect on what you said about Lenten practice, because one of the things that I've been doing this Lent has, has been an intentional practice that has now become almost a habit. And that's exactly what I didn't want to have happen. Hmm. <laughs> I think that, you know, I've got this practice where on the hour I'm stopping to pause and see if I can find God in my midst, to identify, you know, where is the divine right now in this moment? But what I found I've been doing is I'm scribbling in my little notebook every hour, is that it's become kind of habitual, and it's become automatic, and that's kind of the antithesis of what I wanted. I wanted to be awakened to God and not thinking, oh, yeah, right, I'm getting out of bed, I'm, I'm, or I'm in bed and I'm resting, so God must be in, in the comfort of this moment. Uh, so I think that 
when a when a discipline becomes a habit, it's less effective. Is that right? Do you think? Well, that's what I noticed about this little scribbling in my notebook. Is that right? Well, maybe, but maybe that's moving deeper for you. Well, maybe. You know, I, one of the things I've always found difficult is journaling. Mm-hmm. Because journaling for me always seems to be very mundane. You know, got up, did the toilet, right, went, right. went, had my breakfast, did this. It, it, it's a list of, of things uh-huh. that you've done. Um, um, but what I found where I do my journaling is in my preaching. Mm, yes. You know, because as, as Frederick Beekner said, you know, most sermons are biographical in some sense. And, it, and it's through the recollection of those things, um, which are often mundane, but actually take you deeper into mm-hmm. a different reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe the whole idea of stopping for two or three minutes in an hour, boy, that's, that's quite a step. And even if it becomes routine, then what that's doing is, is, is what a prayer life is. You know, I, I, I can remember someone uh, who were writing about the daily office and, and how um, it can really be just very rote. It's the same words all the time. Mm-hmm. But actually, that's, that's one of its strong points because it saves you having to worry about what you have to say. You know, the big difference, I think, from uh, saying a daily office or having extemporaneous prayer, you know, which was my uh, father-in-law's tradition, Mm -hmm. Church of Nazarene, you know, you've got to have an extemporaneous prayer. Well, you're always thinking about what you're going to say next, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas with something like a daily office, you don't. Right. The words are there. They hold it. They hold it for you. And they hold it for you. So, So maybe, you know... Because you journal anyway, right? Sort I do, of. and I, I do, and I'm, yeah. That was that was my New Year's resolution two years ago. Was that I was determined that I was going to finally keep a diary of sorts, where every single day, 365 days of the year, I would write something, and I did it. And at the end of that first year, I thought, well, I did it one year. Why not do it another year? And so I'm now in the middle of my second year, and it's it's some some mornings it's pretty profound, and other morning is other mornings it's well, what can I write while I'm watching the coffee drip out of the other, you know, out of the. You know, I, of my I eye. have tremendous admiration because that's something I have never been able to do. Um, you know, it always becomes very inane when I'm yeah. doing it. You know? Oh, I'm not saying it's inane and not inane. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just doing right. it every day. Right. Right. So. All right. Well, listen, you had mentioned sort of a, a, a spiritual deepening for you around your relationship with Jesus, and that intrigues me. I grew up in a pretty straight-laced home where we didn't talk much about Jesus. We went to church every Sunday. My dad was the senior warden, and my mom was the superintendent of the Sunday school, and I sang in the junior choir. Um, we were a very churched family, but the J word was not one that left our lips very easily or comfortably. And it was honestly until I got to seminary that I really felt like I was developing a relationship with Jesus. So it sounds like you've been experiencing a shift in your own life, a turning, if you will, um, around that, and I'd love to hear about it. Well, unlike you, we were not a church family. My mother was Salvation Army. Uh, actually, was training to be an officer for a while. 
until she got married, and then she had to stop. Mm -hmm. uh, my father was a divorced Catholic, fell out with the Roman Catholic Church in World War II because during the Blitz in Hull, the, uh, the, the priest refused to baptize my sister, who actually just died. Um, so, you know, church was not part of our lives mm -hmm. that I remember anyway, N not much. Um, uh, and, you know, I was in my 30s before I went back to the church. Um, and, and then my passion has always been philosophy and theology. So I was always into theology and, you know, who Jesus is from a theological perspective, right. you know. Um, and Reg Fuller has taught me my Christology and, and so on. So it was always at a very intellectual level. It's a, it, I suppose it's been in the last, I don't know, 10 years maybe, um, that I've started to take a really keen interest in the Gospels from the perspective of what Jesus was doing and not doing hmm. and who Jesus was to people and uh, who Jesus perhaps thought who he was to himself. Um, and, and I found myself more and more talking about Jesus in, in our lives, mm -hmm. in the sense of always being that constant presence, even though we don't know it, um, and, and telling the story as story, um, rather than diving into the exegesis and you know, passing this and passing right. that and, and, and so on. So, so for, in that respect, um, Jesus, uh, as well as God, you know, because most of us fall into God. And, and, and you know, I think that the phrase that we t I know I use a lot is God in Christ because, you know, we are an incarnational right. faith, yeah. are we not? Anglicanism is known as, uh, as its incarnational aspect, God made manifest through Jesus. But it's that being made manifest through Jesus, I think, that, that I've actually found very powerful now. Uh, and over the last few years. Um, and I think Jesus is important. I think we sentimentalize Jesus too much, um, you know, um, and I think certainly when it comes to, you know, go, going back to um, my Lent is a train wreck, my Holy Week is always a, a, a week of turning. Mm -hmm. A very strong turning, mm -hmm. because if we think about the liturgy in Holy Week, it pulls us, it drags us into Good Friday. So I just want to stop you there and ask you, you know, we have four Gospels that give us four very different Jesuses, and we have four passion accounts that also present a different picture of Jesus. I remember one of my former rectors said, well, in John, he practically walks onto the cross. Uh, so as you talk about connecting in a way with, with Christ, with Jesus. Is there a particular gospel that you prefer or a picture of Jesus that you hold over another? Or do you blend them all together and relate to that Jesus? I don't blend them all together. Um, one, of the, one of my studies over the last two or three years or so is exploring what the gospel writers wanted to portray to their communities about mm -hmm. Jesus. That's right. And um, one of the interesting, uh, for me anyway, 
um, discoveries is that Mark and John have a lot in common. Um, Mark, given that we acknowledge is the first gospel, we think was written in Rome sometime between 65 and 70. We don't really Mm -hmm. know. It depends on that text about the, the, the prediction about the temple. What we do know about the period, however, is that um, the Christians in Rome at the time were going through tremendous struggles and persecutions. Right. In Palestine, you had the Jewish wars. And it was a time we could surmise when Christians were very um, nervous about their faith, mm-hmm. were worried about were they being faithful enough. Um, many may have moved away from it. Um, And Mark's gospel, as we know, Jesus is the Jesus who is really not in control of anything, certainly not in control of the passion. And the last words of Jesus, if we take the original ending of Mark, is the cry of dereliction. That's right. Um, It's almost as if Mark is saying to his followers, you know, if, if you feel that way, then take courage, Jesus felt that way as well, mm-hmm. right? So, so there's an image of Jesus which is supportive of what they or we might feel in times of profound stress. Mm-hmm. By the time you get to John's Gospel, of course, we've moved an awful long way forward. We've, we've moved theologically a long way forward. Um, and so here's John uh, having a Jesus who is not only in control, seems to be directing everything, you know, with these wonder, <laughs> wonderful long speeches. Yes. You know, you can always imagine him with a clipperboard saying, okay, rather like some latter-day Hollywood director, you know. Um, but there's a purpose there as well. Because if, 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 if what we believe is true about John's gospel, that it reflects the emergence of the community from under the wraps of the, of the Jewish tradition, f- emerging out of the synagogue, mm-hmm. then they don't want a Jesus who's a wimp. Right. <laughs> they, need, they need a Jesus who is, who is very much in control of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, even John has his perception. And by the time you get to Matthew and Luke, you're getting other different perspectives. Matthew, uh, I always think, now Matthew is a history of the church in Antioch Hmm. Mm -hmm. because if you think if it was written in Antioch as we believe it was then you have a situation where that was where Paul and Peter had their differences that's right Um, and you have this three little scenes in in Matthew's gospel you 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 have the 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 birth narrative right with the wise men and all the rest Mm -hmm. of it the wise men are Gentiles Mm-hmm. You have the end of the gospel, which is go out into the world and, and baptize That's in the name right. of the Father, Son, and Holy yep. Spirit. And right in the middle, the woman goes to Jesus and says, will you, will you cure my daughter? And he says, no. Oh, okay. I didn't come to you. I came to them. Mm-hmm. And that's when she says, ah, but even the dogs keep yeah. the crumbs on the table. And so you're seeing that whole tension lived out in Matthew's gospel. Mm. And by the time you get to Luke, well, it's all healing. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's not a mishmash. It's rather like looking at um, sideways look again. You yeah, know, yeah. you go and look at a painting. I remember when Emily was at Smith, uh, her senior thesis was on a painting that's in their museum, in their gallery, of a child uh, playing on the lawn and a parent stood in the background. And, and you look at it and you just think it's a domestic scene. But actually what it is is a scene 
of the children of the parents reflecting on their daughter who's died. Hmm. It, it's a resurrection story, mm-hmm. if you like. Mm-hmm. And so it, the Gospels, for me anyway, make me look at Jesus in these different perspectives and say, my goodness, you know, Jesus is around these places. Yeah. You know, um, and so the Gospels provide a kaleidoscope, if you like, of different images. Think of what's gone on the last 24 hours in Paris, mm-hmm. right? Well, so I read the newspapers or read the BBC website this morning. There are messages from York. York Minster burnt down in 1984 and saying, it's not going to take you 10 years to build this. We did it in two, mm. right? Ripon Cathedral burnt down in 1902 or 1906. You know, it, it provides a different perspective on, on how we look at Jesus. Yeah. So if there were somebody who um, was not imbued in all of this the way that you are or I am, who was curious about the Christian tradition and stumbled into your study and said, you know, where do I begin with this? How do I, how do I even, where do I stand in order to turn? Which, how do I start? What would you recommend? What was it? One professor once said to me, it's amazing how the text informs the commentary. Hmm. Read the Bible. That's where you start. But read it as story. So do you start with Genesis? Start wherever you want. You know, one of the things that came to me when we're going through the process, mm-hmm. you know, when you're supposed to do all this spiritual yes. direct, yeah. uh, the spiritual introspection and, and so on, um, I discovered or rediscovered, much to my surprise, that although I never went to church as a boy, I'd been reading the Bible since I was about nine. Huh. I was given a very tiny little King James by an aunt who wasn't an aunt. Um, and I would read it, and I went from cover to cover. King James Bible. You, know, you got through is, Leviticus I got in through King all James? Of, I got through all of it. Wow. I had no idea what I was reading. Um but in fact, I picked up another Bible that I've had since 1979, I think, 78, something like that. It was the first modern English translation in England, the, the, the New English Bible. Um, and I bought, I bought it um, when I was going back to the church. And it doesn't have any commentary on it. It's not versified. It's just the text with the little verse numbers down the side. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it reads as a text. Yes. And so when folks come into to my study, or used to, and say, so where do I start? I used to say, there are a couple of places you need to start. Mm-hmm. Start reading the Bible. Yeah. Just dive in, you know. Just take something and read it. It's nice to read the Gospels because they're easy to read. But don't, don't try and labor over it. Don't sweat over it. Don't, don't read a parallel commentary. You'll just get confused. Just read it a story. That's how they heard it. You know, the first followers of Jesus did not have Oxford annotated text in front of them. Lots of footnotes. Right. right. And then join a faith community Mm -hmm. and listen to the stories. Um, You know, I remember once someone asked me when I was at St. Edward's, um, they said, you know, I bet if you were to ask everyone in St. Edward's why they come to church, it's because of spirituality. And I said, no, you're wrong. They don't come for the spirituality. There might be a spirituality Mm -hmm. there, of course. They come for community. Yeah. It's their community that calls them. It's their family. So, you know, what I say to folks is 
get a text, read it, just dive into it. Chapter a day, that's all it needs, you know, or half a chapter, whatever works mm-hmm. for you. Just read it and keep rereading it. That's, you know, um, I reread Lord of the Rings every two or sure. three years, you know. Um, it's through rereading something that you get to hear it. The original storytellers would come in, tell a story, they would stop, and they would start all over again. Well, we call it, we call it the living word for that reason, that it, it's it new every time. Living. That's right. When I was eight years old, I had a fight with my brother and went upstairs and got my knapsack and I, <laughs> I packed my Bible and a package of Oreos that I stole from the dryer where my mother hid them. And I went outside and I climbed up in the pine tree in our backyard and I had run away with my Oreos and my Bible and I sat there and started reading. And it's one of um, it's one of the more transformational moments I think I had in my faith life. And I don't know what I was reading. And I started at Genesis, and I don't think I got very far. And I know I was home for supper, but full of Oreos, of course. But um, there's a lot of ways to turn. So let me ask you one last question. This is sort of a fun question we've been asking, inviting everybody who's come to see us. If Jesus walked through the door right now, Stephen, um, what would you like to say to him? Or what would you like to hear from him? Or how might you greet him? Wow. You know, the older one gets. Actually, somebody said this to me this past Sunday when I was asked, to give a talk to a group at St. John's who call themselves the journeyers or the voyagers, people who are getting on in life. And as you get, you know, when my sister died and um, becoming the last one standing, Mm -hmm. essentially, you know, um, it it really focuses you on uh, emotionally and spiritually Mm -hmm. and intellectually on on last things. I think what I would want to say to Jesus is I've done what I could do mm. in the best way I've done it. And I think the other thing would be to say thank you. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you for being here today. This has been really great. Let me close with a prayer. The Way of Love materials have intercessions different petitions for each of the seven practices. So this is the petition for turn. Creator God, by the mercies of your Son, our Lord Jesus, compel us to turn our hearts to his way of love, that we might follow Jesus together as your faithful people. We pause, listen, and respond in prayer, saying, Jesus, guide us in your way, the way of love. Amen. Amen. Amen.